sin is one of the reasons this matters. You know, I hear people say all the time, you know, you have to go to church to be a Christian. And my response is, well, actually, according to the Bible, uh, you got to be a church to be an obedient Christian. <laughs> you, you, you need to, God commands us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together because we need this time to be reminded who he is, reminded what he's like. All week long, the world kind of just pounds on you and pounds on you and pounds on you and tugs on you and, 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 and lies to you about who God is and who you are. And part of our purpose here is to be reminded of who he is and who he's called us to be. And he's got to do a great job of reminding us of that. So so grateful for them. All right, if you're worshiping with us uh, uh, from home or wherever uh, over our YouTube uh, channel and you wanna, you've got children with you, now's a great time to go ahead and get them set up for children's church. So I'm going to give you a minute to do that um, while you're at home. Uh, get things set up and ready for your children. Uh, to be able to worship uh, with the, whatever children's church lesson we've got sent out there. And then um, uh, while they're doing that, for those of you who are here, got a couple quick announcements for you. Just run through those. Uh, first, uh, first Sunday of the month, every month, we uh, bring out blessing bags, uh, fantastic little bags with super practical items in them for you to be able to give to um uh, uh, people you might encounter as you're driving along, maybe at a stoplight or whatnot. Sometimes you see people there. If you've ever wondered, boy, I don't know, I want to help, but I'm not sure if I want to give cash or not. These, this is a great way to do that. It's got food, it's got socks, it's got hand sanitizer, it's got chapstick, it's got a, a gospel message in there, all kind of practical things, water bottles in there, practical ways to be a blessing and a help and to share the love of God with somebody you might encounter on the street. So uh, they're available. Are they out here, Jessica? Is that where they are? Okay, so when you leave this morning, they're out on the walkway there. Grab one or two. Um, uh, those have been provided through a, a generous gift from Thrivent, so uh, you don't need to pay for them. Just take a couple, keep them in your car, have them ready, and be a blessing wherever you go. Uh, do that before you leave today. Uh, every Monday night now for a while, and we're going to continue this on. I, this morning's going to be my last m Sunday morning message in our Let's Talk About God and Politics series. But we're going to continue talking about some of these issues for a while on Monday nights in, in these really intentional discipleship gatherings. We call it what Let's Talk About. It. When we get together, we talk about the sermon, we talk about key issues, and we learn to develop together a biblical worldview so we might better be better followers of Jesus, better represent him in the world on practical questions that are confusing a lot of Christians today. So next time we do that will be tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, right here in the Center for New Life. I urge you to join us if you can. If you can't come out or if you're not coming out right now because of the COVID stuff, we are also making that available over live stream, so you can tune in. But you have to get the link. Jessica will send out a link, but you have to have the link in order to come in live stream. It's not open to the public in general. But tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, here in the Center for New Life, if you can be here, if not, consider tuning in on the live stream. If you can't be there at that time at all, you can check it out in the archives later on. Finally, uh, Nadine Migley, uh, our uh, missionary in Uganda, is back. Wave, Nadine. She got here last week, and she's going to be with us for a little while, and we're super excited she got in here safely, and and uh, uh, and Norman and, and, and uh, Catherine and Nadine are working on putting together a really stupid schedule to exhaust her while she's here, so we need to slow her down just a little bit, but uh, we're excited here. Please grab her, let her know how much you love her and that you're praying for her, and see her before you leave today. She'll be with us uh, a little bit, and then she'll be going a couple different places, but she'll be here this week and next we'll leave. So please grab her this morning if you get a chance. But uh, um, she's doing great stuff. Uh, the Lord's doing great stuff at his farm in Kamakala, Uganda. 
and we're so excited to have her with us and be a part of that. Lord, we just continue to bless your work there. Lord, while Nadine is here in the States, we pray your protection and your provision and, and your grace over over those, over, over the young men who are there, over the young ladies, the young women who are learning job skills, over the work and the farm and all that's going on, and the development of the school. Lord, protect that work, uh, provide for that work, watch over that work while Nadine's here in the States. Pray you bless her time as she would be able to get some rest, protect her good time with family and friends. Uh, but we're so grateful. And Lord, we pray that your kingdom continue to come and your will continue to be done there in Kamakawa as well as in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah, amen. Lord, give Nadine a hand and, and uh, praise the Lord. Fantastic. Uh, all right, well, praise the Lord. We're going to go ahead and hopefully if you're worshiping with us over a YouTube channel, you've had a chance to get, uh, oh, you're the best. Listen, I've got I got good for me. Um, I've got to stand in that. There, that is interesting. All right, well, praise the Lord. We're going to uh, turn our attention to the Word of God. Hopefully you guys from home had a chance of getting your children set up and are back with us. Uh, and so, Father, as we turn our attention to your Word, we just pray you would instruct us and help us um, to understand government better, uh, more like you meant it to work and more like you want it to be understood. So instruct us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, and amen. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, well, like I mentioned earlier this morning, I'm going to finish up uh, our Let's Talk About God and Politics. Two things people say never talk about, we've been talking about. Let's Talk About God and Politics teaching series. I'm going to finish that up this morning uh, with a brief look at the biblical purpose, function, and role of civil government. Now, for those few of you maybe who haven't voted yet, the election is in two days. The election is officially on Tuesday. If you've not voted yet, I do want to point your attention momentarily to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 15, where God himself speaks directly to his people and says, Be sure to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses. Now, I remind you this morning that your vote is a stewardship that you hold before Almighty God. And your responsibility with that vote is to use it the way God wants it used. Not the way you feel at the moment, but the way you believe God wants it used. So I remind you of that today. Now, an awful lot of confusion and an awful lot of disagreement pops up over uh, in terms of government and politics and public policy, oftentimes over fundamental disagreements about what government is supposed to do. Disagreements between people with very different opinions about the proper function and role of government. When you think about it, something like this. Imagine a young couple going to get a nanny, and they hire a nanny, they go away. The first day they've got the nanny, they come back home from work. The kid's good, he's happy, he's fed, he's diapered and whatnot. But the wife is upset because the clothes aren't folded and the carpet's not vacuumed and the nanny didn't make dinner. Because apparently it turned out when she hired a nanny, she was kind of expecting to get a maid as well. Or turn it around the other way. They come home that first day from work and the kid's good, he's happy, he's fed, he's diapered and whatnot. But the husband is shocked and appalled to find his closet and his dresser have been rearranged. 
All the tools in the shed are in different places. His fishing equipment, his bowling stuff has been removed from the hall closet and stored somewhere in the garage. And, and when he asks what's going on, the nanny says, well, I just reorganized uh, things to make it run a little smoother. The wife's elated and the husband is furious because they had very different expectations of what they were going to get in a nanny. This happens very often in the world of politics and government as well. We'll talk about it very briefly this morning. Just to get us focused and moving, would you stand with me, please, and honor the Word of God? We're going to read together Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. Romans 13, 1 through 4. If you're with me here in the Center for New Life, I'll read the plain text if you'll join me in reading the highlighted portion. If you're worshiping with us over our uh, YouTube channel or out in the overflow area, just read the Scriptures as they pop up on the screen. But Romans chapter 13, beginning at verse 1, this is what the Bible says. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Praise the Lord, this is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Now as we begin looking this morning briefly at the biblical role of government, I need to go ahead and start right up front by saying to you very clearly that government is a good thing. The alternative to government is no government, which typically really means chaos. Many of the most radical, most chaotic protests and riots that you've seen over the last several months in this country have been led primarily by anarchists, by those who oppose the very concept of government itself. For example, in Seattle this summer, very famously, a group of them took over a portion of downtown Seattle. They ran the police off, declared it an autonomous zone, declared their independence, and for a brief period of time actually imagined, I suppose, themselves to be free outside the governing authority of the United States or the state of Washington or the city of Seattle. But biblically speaking, government is a good thing. In fact, listen to me very carefully. God created human beings to govern. It is inherent within our nature. It is inherent within our design. It is inherent within our calling. Listen to these words of Scripture about the creation of people. The Bible says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The first thing I want to make sure you notice from this passage of Scripture is that God loves you. Say, God loves me. He delights in mankind whom he made in his own image. And according to this text, as soon as God made people, he looked at them, loved them, and blessed them. He conferred his love and his grace and his favor on them. 
on people. And then by his uh, uh, creation design, he goes on and says to them, be fruitful and increase in number. In other words, bear fruit and become many. Grow and increase and do good stuff. Make a difference in the world. He goes on and says, fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, fill the earth and bring it into line. Fill the earth and bring it into order. Fill the earth and govern it. Rule over it. For the glory of God as representatives of God and the kingdom of God. This very same creation, design, and reality is echoed again in Psalm 8, where David writes, he's writing to God about God's creation of man, and part of what he says is this, you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. And so the truth of Scripture is clear, that from the very beginning, God made man on the earth and then said, go and govern it. So man was created to govern, designed and designated by God to bring order and justice and peace into the world. Over time, as the number of people increased on the earth, more formal types of governments were established. Initially, it was in family units. You had households and families and clans and tribes. As cities became more and more numerous and more prosperous, civil governmental authorities came to be. You had elders sitting in the gates of the city, judging disputes among the people, and it continued to grow and develop on and on over time. And the New Testament makes it perfectly clear. This general development of more formal systems of government was in general accordance with the will of God. Romans chapter 13, verse 1, which we read a minute ago, says this, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. To be honest, it would be hard for the Bible to be clearer than that. The existence of civil government was God's idea as the natural outworking of his original creation plan for mankind to rule in the world. Now let me quickly say this, and please listen. This verse does not mean that every individual person who serves in government is therefore God's choice. It's not what it says. The verse notes simply that the concepts of government and governing authority are God-ordained. It does not mean that all people who serve in those positions of authority were specifically put there by God. God established the legitimacy of governing authority. But in way too many instances throughout history, wicked people have taken that authority and used it for their own wicked purposes. So given the reality that civil government was God's idea, what is its God-given purpose? What is its God-given role? And again, in very broad terms, you find the answer right here in Romans chapter 13. For the Bible says that civil government and those in civil government are there to serve God by commending good, 
and punishing evil. You want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. First and foremost, then, the biblical role of civil government is to bring to this earth, through the agency of human authorities, the holy and righteous governance of God. Human governments should reflect the holy governance of God himself. And that's why the Bible says twice in Romans chapter 13 verse 4 speaking of those in positions of governmental authority that they are God's servants for he is God's servant to do you good. And a little later in the verse he is God's servant an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So whether commending good or punishing evil, whatever the government is doing, it is supposed to be doing it as the servant of God. Those who want to separate the concept of the will of God from governing authorities are not functioning from a biblical worldview. The Christian worldview is clear. As the maker and sustainer of everything, and as the ultimate judge of all people, all authority belongs to God. Whether you acknowledge it or not, whether you recognize it or not, you belong to God. Everything exists for the glory and pleasure of God. And one day, everyone will stand before him and give an account of their lives to him. That means according to the biblical worldview, all authority on earth, whether familial or ecclesiastical or civil governmental, all authority on earth is delegated authority. It's authority that comes down from God to be used for the purposes and glory of God. And that means that civil governments and earthly governmental authorities, whether religious or secular, are all accountable to him. And while the ultimate ultimate judgment is yet to come, in the Bible you find plenty of examples of the judgment of God coming on secular, worldly, or religious governmental authorities. Just think about the judgment of God that came on Pharaoh or the judgment of God that came on Ahab. The judgment of God that came on Sennacherib or Nebuchadnezzar. The judgment of God that came on King Herod in Acts chapter 12. At the end of the day, all legitimate authority comes from God and is intended to be used to serve the purposes of God. So when civil governments do things God opposes, they are misusing and abusing their authority and they are endangering themselves, setting themselves up for judgment. So the most fundamental role of government is to please God and serve Him. And that is done fundamentally by punishing evil, commending good, and taking care of its citizens. Let's look at those briefly. First, 
Government is meant by the design of God to punish evil. Remember those words from Romans chapter 13? He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. A fundamental role of government by the design of God, according to the Bible and the plan of God, is to pursue and prosecute and punish wrongdoing. Proverbs 20, 26 says, A wise king winnows out the wicked. He drives the threshing wheel over them. It is, in fact, this prosecutorial role of government, this God-given function of punishing evil, of scattering the wicked and driving the threshing wheel over them that led God in his sovereignty to give to civil government the power of the sword. In Romans 13, 4, it says, He does not bear the sword for nothing. It is the God-ordained role of civil government to pursue and punish wrongdoing. Number two, it's the God-given role of civil government to recognize and reward virtue, to bless that which is good, to honor that which pleases God. Again, from Romans chapter 13, the Bible says, Do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. The Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2 that governors are sent to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. So just in case you ever wondered, it is entirely within the God-ordained role of government to do things like provide uh, tax relief to charities, to provide to provide tax breaks for charitable giving and similar acts of righteousness. Number three, it's a fundamental God-given role of civil government to protect its citizens from harm, including the harms of crime, foreign invasion, oppression, and injustice. A government that cannot protect its citizens is a bad government. So governments should provide Effective systems for national defense and criminal justice. This also means that governments should establish and enforce laws that protect its citizens equally. For example, the Bible talks a great deal about the duty of government to protect the poor. But I want to make sure you understand that is fundamentally about ensuring that the poor are not taken advantage of or treated unfairly simply because they're poor. It's not about giving special privileges to the poor. It's about protecting them from intentional abuse and oppression because the poor are uniquely vulnerable to abuse. They often lack the resources to protect themselves or fight back. And so God's people in general and civil governments in particular are charged with looking out for the poor to be sure they are not treated unfairly or unjustly. The best way to understand the biblical concept of justice is from all those Proverbs about unequal weights and measures. Like Proverbs 11.1, 1, which says, The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. Biblically speaking, 
Justice simply means justness, rightness. It's about doing what's right, treating people like it's the way that is right. And in the context of government, that includes equal treatment under the law. It means people are to be treated and cases are to be weighed using the same weight and the same scales. It's not a different weight for one class of people than for another. This is a basic, fundamental, God-given role of government, one that must be taken seriously. Unfortunately, today, the word justice is being wildly misunderstood and often wildly misused frequently by professing Christians. And one of the results that's happening a lot is tremendous confusion and very wrong thinking about what the Bible actually says government should be doing in terms of the poor. Tomorrow night at our Let's Talk About It Discipleship Gathering, we're going to jump into this. We're going to talk a little bit about social justice and economic justice and, and, and what the Bible says the government's response is supposed to be to the poor. If that's a question you've struggled with, if that's bothered you, if, that, if that's something that, that you wonder about or you're confused about, I beg you to come and join us tomorrow night. These gatherings are designed to be discipleship gatherings. We, we talk back and forth. There's an opportunity to ask questions, make comments, so we can grow together as followers of Jesus and develop together a biblical worldview. Tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, right here in the Center for New Life. From a biblical perspective, those three things are the three most fundamental roles of government. But if you look at the Bible, you will find civil governments doing other things. You'll find them uh, waging war. You'll find them entering treaties. You'll find them engaging in commerce. You'll find them engaging in public works projects. Today, we keep asking governments to do more and more things. But I do want to remind you, the more you ask the government to do for you, the more resources it must take from you to do it. Because governments do not make money. Governments take money from their citizens in the form of taxes. And God himself warned about the tendency of civil governments to overreach and abuse their power to take from their citizens. It's 1 Samuel chapter 8. In that chapter, the people of God wanted a change of government. They wanted to get rid of the prophets and the judges God kept giving them. And they wanted an official king to rule over them and fight their battles for them. And God warned them of the tendency of civil governments to abuse, abuse the power to tax and to take more from the people than was appropriate, and in doing so over time, if not careful, to turn the people into little more than slaves of the government. Those are God's words, not mine. You'll check it out in 1 Samuel 8. But a government that oppresses its people is a government that has lost its way. Good government is government that does what God wants it to do. It recognizes its place under God and never attempts to replace him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you as always for the power and the clarity of your word. Lord, there are all these things we wonder about and people write books about and, and earn doctorates about and, and we argue about and we, and we get confused about it and, you, and you've shown us what is good and right. Lord, make us a people of your word. Forgive us for paying more attention to what we hear on the Internet than what we find in the Bible, to what we learn in class than what we find in the Bible. 
Lord, restore us to your plan, to your will, to your way. And help us be a light and a help, salt and light in this world to bring truth and help to it as well. We pray for a government, Lord, not so much for the government we deserve, but, Lord, in this land, in this nation, this city and state, we pray for the government we need. Lord, forgive us. We have often received the government we deserve. We ask for the government we need. We ask for the government you desire. Government that governs according to your will, according to your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your righteousness. Lord, we pray over the elections that are going on now and and will be culminating on Tuesday. Lord, have mercy on this land. Lord, guide your people, move your people, intervene, we pray, on behalf of our land. Lord, have mercy in Jesus' name. Lord, have mercy in Jesus' name. Give us the government you desire. Give us the government that we need. And we pray for them, Lord. We pray for those in these positions of authority that we might live quiet and godly lives, O Lord, that we might serve you well and advance your kingdom. Lord, we thank you for the freedoms we have. We pray that you would protect them. Lord, we pray that we might have them still. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We're going to continue to worship the Lord. We're going to worship the Lord as we sow our tithes and offerings to the work of God. I encourage you to be faithful in that that spiritual discipline.